0: Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 So last time I was like kind of bummed that we had this this intermission Where last week was Easter and we kind of missed out on back to back Sundays Because the last time that we met was two weeks ago And our study was verses 8 and 9 And the focus of 8 and 9 and that study Does anybody remember? Oh come on guys yeah 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 so we talked yes we talked about the simple gospel right the simple gospel that you are saved by grace through faith right not of anything that you have done it is simply everything that Jesus has done it's as simple as that you can either accept it or reject it he has given it to you as a gift right so Jesus has a gift here for you you can either say okay I want it I'll take it or you can either say no I don't want it you can keep it to yourself That's the simple gospel, right? Now, there's a lot more that goes into it, and that's why we have a book that has over a thousand pages in it, and 66 books. But that's the simple gospel. And I wanted to segue off of that part of verses 8 and 9 and go into verse 10, because then that explains the in-depth portion of the gospel. Like, what comes next, right? Because there's more than just the simple gospel. There's more than just being saved by grace through faith, right? There's more than just faith. There's something that has to come with that, right? Right? Yes? Okay, good. Let's, let's read it really quick. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you have my Bible, it's page 812. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But verse nine, if you look at it, I should start in verse eight. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Paul is telling the Ephesians right here, and he's telling all of us as Christians that when you came when you receive salvation, it was all because of Jesus. It was a free gift that was given to you and it was not of anything that you did. He says that in verse nine, not of works, not a single thing, not a single thing you did, thought, whatever, had nothing to do with you except for the fact that Jesus loved you and he gave it to you. Why is that important? He says, lest anyone should boast, meaning to avoid the risk that anyone should boast, that anyone should say that I made my way into heaven. I saved myself because I did such and such, right? Because I was a good person, because I went to church, because I read my Bible, because I did this, because I did that. None of that saves you. Everyone understand that? What is the only thing that saves you? Jesus Christ. That is it. That is it. But now what we're going to come to find out in verse 10, and we're going to jump into the Into James as well, is that once Jesus has saved you, then there is something that comes after that to prove that you have been saved by Jesus. Because you have to have the faith to receive the grace that God has given you, but that faith is also coupled with. anybody know? One word. Huh? Works. Works. Faith and works are coupled together. You're not saved by your works you're saved by faith and then faith produces works you understand that and we'll get into that in a minute but he says in verse 10 you are his workmanship the Greek word workmanship anybody know the Greek word for that anybody ever use workmanship in their daily talk no no it's it's actually the Greek word is poema anybody know what English word we get from that (laughs) yeah oh good job you guys are smart yeah poem poem, right? So, so Paul is explaining to the Christians that now that you are saved by grace through faith, God has something in store for you. And we saw all in chapter one that God has chosen us, that God has, has even before the foundations of the world, that he's picked us. Like there is something special about that, obviously, right? For him to decide and to choose us way before, the before time even began, and specifically to choose us because who would ever want to choose us, right? That's like the kid who's like really bad at sports and always gets picked last. Nobody wants to choose them, right? In reality, that's us, every single one of us. We should never have been chosen because we're not, in reality, we're not We're not lovable. We're not worthy of it. But Jesus Christ has chosen to choose us because he loves us, which is amazing in and of itself. And not only does he save us, but he gives us more than just salvation, right? We talked about that before he doesn't just save us and he says hey go on your merry way no he says i'm gonna save you and i have something special for you correct he says you're my workmanship you are you are something that is so beautiful and creative it's in a sense a poem right a masterpiece is what he's what he's calling us and i love that and so as i was thinking of poema and i always thought it was like a, a beautiful theme and something to focus on i think of bob ross right? Who doesn't think of Bob Ross? Anybody not know who Bob Ross is? Okay, good. Turn the video on. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be great. I actually thought about like, hey, let's show like a 10-minute clip of Bob Ross painting something, right? he He's something that's just, we're all, we're all it's, it's relatable. We, we can understand because we've seen his show and Obviously, he's not alive anymore, but when he starts to paint something, right? And, and I might be explaining right now to you that, like, hey, you are a masterpiece. You are beautiful. God has chosen you. Like, he is something special for you, and you're sitting in your chair right now, and you're like, have you seen me? Do you know anything about my life? Like, I'm definitely not special, or maybe I'm special in that type of way, but, you know, like, there's no way that God is going to use me in my life, Right? Because you have no idea what I think about, what I go through, what I've been through, what people have done to me. And that's true. Like, you have gone through some stuff. Everyone has. But God uses those things. He uses them. Just in the same way when you like don't understand, why did I have to go through this? Why, why do I have to go through that? Like, It's not fair. Well, first of all, life is not fair. right? But there's a purpose to it. There's no mistake in your life. So when I'm watching Bob Ross paint something, or if you're watching Bob Ross paint something, he starts, he starts off on a blank canvas, right? And he starts painting, and you're like, what the heck are you painting, right? You're like, what is that? He just sees the whole picture. You know what I mean? He knows exactly what it's gonna look like, but he, he details every little thing. And he does a lot of like landscape, nature type stuff. So he's got the trees, the mountains, the snow, the, the branches, the, everything. And it's so beautiful, but you don't see, you don't really see the whole picture until when? So the whole picture is there, right? You're like, what are you painting? And eventually, after you know a few moments, you see what is is coming about, and you see how beautiful it is in the end. And I feel like the same way goes for us as as believers, as God has chosen us and He saved us and He's considered us His masterpiece, His workmanship, His poem, right? That. That we are still in the midst of of being finished right just like we talked about in our summer retreat last year being unfinished he's still creating in us and and he has something special in for you so you're thinking okay that's a mistake that's no it's not a mistake okay you just don't see the whole picture yet you understand that you are his workmanship I love that you know I think of um, I know this guy and um, he had a lot of siblings I was thinking about this guy, he had a lot of siblings, how many of you guys have a lot of siblings? A lot of family members, cousins, yeah. Um, anybody have a sibling? Okay, that's good enough, there we go. <laughs> you know, uh, have you ever gotten an argument with your sibling? Yeah? Never? Have you ever done something that you regretted to your sibling? <laughs> no! <laughs> that's the wrong question, I think. Have you ever, like, hated your sibling? Yes. Yeah. Don't lie. Don't lie. So I know this guy where he had a lot of siblings, a lot of brothers, and they all hated him. Like they hated him more more than anything. No, like seriously, it was it's it's bad. They hated him, and they were jealous of him, because he was a cool guy, and you know whatnot. And so, when you're in the midst of like that mindset, you do pretty stupid things, right? So this is nothing in comparison to probably something you've ever done to your sibling, but they took him and they sold him into, they, they wanted to kill him, but they said, no, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery. Right? So they sell him into slavery, goes into slavery, and then finally, you know, he, he, he gets a, a master, basically, and the master's wife tries to seduce him and he doesn't do anything, and he basically gets falsely accused of, of rape, right? And because he was falsely accused of rape, then he gets thrown in prison. So he's in prison, right? And obviously this is the story of Joseph, but think about his life, right? Think about, imagine going through what he's going through and he's thinking, what the heck? I do not see the end goal. I do not see the end picture. Like, Lord, why would you allow this and this and this? This has to be a mistake. This has to be a mistake. This is not good. Here's like 20 plus years of my life wasted. That's more than anybody sitting in this room that's not an adult. That's all of you youth. Think about that, that he was enslaved or in prison. I mean, could you go through 20 plus years and think, okay, I'm going to still trust in you, God. I don't see the end goal. God's like, trust in me. And then once we get to the end, it's going to be so beautiful. It's going to be so worth it right? Thankfully, Bob Ross's pictures take like 10 minutes, right? And then you finally see, you don't have to wait. There's no suspense. But with us, sometimes there's little things that happen to us here and there, and God is using those things for something to come, something beautiful. And you just have to trust in the Lord with those things. I just, it's, it's a good encouragement and reminder because a lot of us go through so many difficult circumstances and and sometimes we just mess up, and God's like, hey, I, I, have, I preordained you. I knew all this, right? I have chosen you as my masterpiece. I have saved you for a purpose, and here you are. So listen, I want to read something to you guys really quick. Um, it's something I wrote a little while back, so bear with me as I read this because it goes hand in hand with what we're studying right here. It says, you are a piece of work. No, I don't mean that you're unpleasant, complicated, or difficult. Well, Maybe but being that type of piece of work is not what God has in mind. You are a piece of work because God has created you to work the works of God in you. Not only are you just a a piece of work but you are a masterpiece. A piece created by the master, hence a masterpiece. And yes you are a masterpiece yet a masterpiece that is still unfinished. And we know from Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a refreshing reminder to know and understand that God is not finished with us yet. And looking in the mirror, we see the reflection of what man sees. And to be honest, sometimes it can be disappointing, disgusting, or even boring. A blank canvas with so much work to do. And stop reflecting on your reflection. Rather, in God's eyes, he sees us as a masterpiece. With a simple stroke of his brush, he creates us into something more beautiful than what Picasso, Van Gogh, or even Bob Ross could ever create. Think about this, that God is so creative that he created the most artistic, creative, detailed people to ever exist. Like He created Bob Ross, Van Gogh, this person, that person. He created you. And God has begun a good work in you. He's already started, whether you see it or not. And don't be dismayed in thinking that God is finished with you. He is not. <laughs> that was Dr. Seuss right there. God promises us that He will complete. God promises us that He will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. We won't be able to see that finished product until we stand before the glory of God. But what a beautiful thing to hope for, to believe in, to work towards. And Ephesians two ten says, "For we are His workmanship." This is the verse we're in created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And the word workmanship used here is the Greek word poema. And yep, you guessed it. That's exactly where we get our English word poem. Poems can be short, they can be long. Some rhyme and some don't. Poems take you on adventure. Poems are honest, deep, and sometimes a lecture. Poems can drop in the valleys and climb the tops of mountains. Poems can be dramatic, romantic, and comedic. No matter what your life's poem looks like or sounds like, we know that it is a masterpiece handcrafted and written by our master. And start pursuing and let the author of your faith write the most masterful, beautiful, honest story using your life. And in John chapter 9, if you guys remember this, Jesus and his disciples walked past a man who was blind since birth. You remember this? And a man who in his own eyes may have saw himself no pun intended, as a worthless blank canvas with nothing to offer. And so did did the disciples. They asked Jesus if it was the man's sin or his parents' sin that made him blind. And yet Jesus looked at him as his workmanship. And Jesus answered the disciples and said that the, the blind man was created that specific way so that the works of God should be revealed in him. We see that in John 9, 3. Jesus didn't see this man the way the man saw himself, jesus didn't see this man the way other people saw this man jesus saw this man with a purpose to use him jesus purposed the blind man's life and circumstance as an opportunity for the works of god to be revealed in him and oh how we should desire for the works of god to be revealed in us we can soak in our misery questioning why me and allow what we think of ourselves or what others think of ourselves to disable us and disarm us or We can see the suffering, the disability, the ugliness, the boringness, our lives and situations as an opportunity for God's power to be revealed through us. And when we see our weaknesses as an opportunity for God, the masterpiece that he has begun appears more beautiful and glorious. And God reminds us in Corinthians, he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And God's power and glory can be revealed through suffering, hardships, and ugliness. The cross is the ultimate display. God the Father purposed and displayed in His his glory, power and work through the suffering of God the Son on the cross. And this happened for the whole world to see, to know and to believe. Allow God to use your situation in life as an opportunity for God to display His works through you so that the glory of God will be displayed to those around you. God has created you for a specific purpose and though you may not see it, yes, you have to walk by faith but walking encompasses doing something, right? Paul says here, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So yes, I'm saved by faith and not of works, but after I've received this faith, God has created me for something, to do something with that and to prove that my faith is genuine, that it is real, by doing good works for Jesus Christ so what are good works what are these good works do you guys do good works you think yeah like you're like oh maybe depends on what the good works are right listen to this Colossians 1 9-12 says this for this reason we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. What are good works? Verses 9 and 10 of Colossians tells us that we know this by understanding God's will. And we have already seen repeatedly that knowledge comes by increasing our knowledge of God by reading and studying His Word. To produce good works, you have to be rooted in Jesus Christ first. And that is where the salvation comes into play. You are saved because of Jesus Christ only. And because of Jesus Christ, you are able to produce good works. And it is necessary to produce good works just in the same way that a a fruit tree, (laughs) fruit tree, an apple tree or whatever type of tree, right? It is supposed to produce that type of fruit, correct? When Jesus was hungry and he looked at the fig tree and he looked off from afar off, right? Remember this? And obviously, Jesus knows all, but he was just teaching us a lesson. He looks at the fig tree and it was blooming. It was beautiful. His mouth was probably watering because of the fig Newtons that were on it. Right? I'm just kidding. What are they? Just figs? Patrick, you used to have a fig tree, right? You still have it? Yeah, he brought me some figs. They're really, really good. So you're hungry, right? You see this fig tree and you're like, okay, there's some of the most plump figs out there, or apples, or whatever your favorite fruit is, right? So you go, you get closer, and you're expecting something, and what was there? What did Jesus find? Nothing. No fruit. You know what he did? He cursed it. <laughs> I don't blame him. He was probably really hungry, right? No, but the point is, it looked like a tree. It was a tree. It was a fruit tree, which its only job is to produce fruit, right? And it didn't. It looked like it was, but it didn't. And okay, so good story, Jesus, thank you. But what does that have to do with me? It's you, Jeffrey, who looks like you are a Christian, that you have received salvation, right? But yet there is no, there are no works, there are no fruit that are being produced. And so when Jesus does a closer examination, or anybody does a closer examination into your life, they realize, oh my gosh, here you are, and you're not doing any good works. There is no fruit that is being produced. And you can't fake the fruit. I mean, you can maybe for a little while, but until there's a closer examination, you can't fake it. You can see in reality that there is no fruit. Think about that in your own life. If, if you have received Jesus Christ, it's just natural to, to produce fruit. It's natural to produce works. Okay, Works doesn't come before you're saved. They come after you're saved. It's because you're saved. Because you are rooted in Jesus Christ, you then produce the good fruit, the good works. Turn with me really quick to James chapter 2. James explains this really well. James chapter 2, and starting in verse 14. You know, sometimes we get this misconception that we have to do good things to be in, in the right standing with God. You know, which is what we would term religion, right? We have this misconception of that and it's so hard sometimes to to just fully surrender because we feel like I need to do something because I need to feel like I, I earned it or something. But you you have to fully understand that it's it's a complete and it's hard because it goes against everything that we are, the whole nature of us to completely surrender everything in us, our will, our thoughts and give it to the Lord and just say, Lord, it's because of you that you've saved me. It's all because of you. It's nothing that I've done. It's a complete humbleness and and surrender unto the Lord. And then when 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 we're able to do that, he's like, okay, Jeffrey, now I can use you to do good works. I can use you to do something, whether you're, you're this person or that person, whether you feel like you have little skill or a lot of skill, whether this or that, God will use you in the way that he needs to use you. And it's not for something little. It's for something big. You understand that? To you and your eyes and, and what Satan might try to do and, and demean all that is say, yeah, it's really nothing in the grand scheme of things. What you're doing, it's, it's not going to be... Do you know that I feel that way Sometimes when I come here on Sundays, sometimes I feel like, what am I even doing? Like they're not even listening. I honestly, that it, it hurts me sometimes and that's the way I feel. And I know that Satan's attacking me in that way and I've gotta be like, no, God has created me for a specific purpose and I need to do that. What what comes from it, That that's not my problem. I just need to do what God has called me to do and to not be discouraged by what Satan wants wants to stop me from doing. And if one person, right we said this all last week we did so many different events we did two different out- one at out- one big outreach right we put money in it we put time we put effort there was about 60 people from our church who was helping with that outreach on saturday and we said it would all be worth it if one person came to know jesus right it is it it would be worth it if even if nobody came to jesus and we planted a seed in somebody's heart if something led to something eternal, and obviously that was a big thing that we did, but even in little things, it can mean a lot. It could be a little conversation that you have with a friend. It could be it could be something in your obedience to your parents. It could be something so simple that God can use for eternity. So don't think that God can't use you or that it's not enough or there's there's nothing, you're not seeing anything from it because you know what? A lot of the times... We can see fruit in our own lives. We can we can produce that, but a lot of times we don't see the fruit of our works. If that makes sense, sometimes we don't see it, right? I think of my old youth pastor, and how dumb like you guys are angels compared to how my youth group was. Okay, um, gosh, do I have stories for you guys? There was a time. It actually, one of one of the parents actually stopped by here this this past weekend, and he said. He hadn't seen me in 10 years. He said, I remember when Pastor Steve, which was my youth pastor, grabbed me by like like my pants, gave me a wedgie, and dragged me across the gravel because I had just given him like the best wedgie ever. Right? That was like, and that was like the tamest of tame. Right? We had kids who, I won't get into the stories, but anyways, what was I getting at? I don't know where I was getting it. That's why I don't go on tangents, because I forget but all right, let's just read James two. <laughs> Jesus is like you need to stop there. All right, uh, James chapter two verse fourteen. It says, "What does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but wo- but does not have works? Can faith save him?" It's a good question, James. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, okay, and one of you says to them, "All right, so." Like, just hypothetically speaking, let's say one of our buddies comes in here right now, right? And he's got, like, I don't know, just shorts and a shirt on. And it's the middle of uh, January and it's 12 degrees. And he hasn't eaten in two days. Imagine that happens, right? And imagine this is what we tell him right here Depart in peace, be warmed, and filled. Good luck, right? I hope you find warmth and food. And here you are, you got like four jackets on, right? You, your your belly's full and you got a backpack full of snacks right you're like hey brother let me, let me pray for you right let me pray that you find this warmth and this food and whatever you need to sustain you right this sounds pretty dumb when we go to Atlanta right and we're we're we're, it's me a white person and I'm going up and here I am like wearing some like pretty decent clothing and here I am I go up to somebody that's homeless regardless of the color Right? I'm just saying white because I'm I'm privileged. So I'm going up to this homeless person and they're hungry and I say, you know, can I pray for you? Can I tell you about Jesus and his love? And they're like, dude, I'm hungry. Like, I don't want to hear anything. Like, who are you who are you to tell me that Jesus loves me? Because you have everything. Right? Here you are in your your sweet get up and you're coming here on a missions trip and you have a house, you have a job, you have a a a family and a car it's pretty hard to relate to right but if i can show him love if i can provide him with a sandwich if i can give him something to meet that physical need right then we can meet that spiritual need it's it's sometimes you can't just meet the spiritual you can't meet the physical with the spiritual right sometimes you have to meet the physical first to then provide the spiritual Because in no way in heck would anybody in Atlanta listen to us if we didn't fill their belly first. Right? We have to show that type of love. And it'd be pretty dumb, again, if somebody came in here who was cold and hungry and we prayed over them or we said, hey, good luck. I hope you find that. No, no, no. Right? We got to think of the Good Samaritan. Somebody comes in like that, what should we do? We should actually act on our faith, we should actually act on our, our Christianity and who we're rooted in Jesus. And provide them with something physically right correct yeah sometimes the world does this better than we do so he said he goes on to say this depart in peace be warmed and filled but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit thus also faith by itself it does not have works is dead like james puts it pretty blunt that if you have faith without works your faith is dead And when he speaks of dead, it's, it's, it's literally dead, okay? There's no life in it whatsoever. Life has departed. Your faith is nothing. So do you receive your faith without works? Yes, but then that faith is made genuine and real by your works. And if you don't have works that accompany your faith, then really your faith is dead. There really was no faith to begin with this all make sense it's pretty simple he goes on to say but someone will say you have faith right so we're having this argument right now you have faith and I have works right you have faith and I have works and he goes on to say you show me your faith without your works that's it's a good challenge right show me your faith without your works could you do that no You could only verbalize it think about think about your parents or some relationship that you have right and they say I love you that's nice right it's nice to hear that it's comforting but then you're like show me that you love me prove that you love me how do you prove that you love someone is it by telling them over and over and over again no because that'd be pretty annoying at one point i'd be like shut up and do something go go do the dishes go go take up your cross and die not literally figuratively and 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 meet my needs above your needs right cuz that's that's love that's agape love so to prove your love you actually have to do something about it right peter is in the boat right with all the other disciples and jesus is walking on the water and Peter wants to get out, right? And he says, "I." He doesn't say this, but he, let's just say he says, "I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with my life, right? I, 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 have, I have faith in you. I believe in you." And then Jesus says, "Okay, we'll come out here and walk on water, right? Like, like, okay. How does Peter then prove it by obeying, by walking on water, right?" You can talk the talk, but eventually you're going to have to walk it. And that's what exactly what Paul tells us. He says at the end of Ephesians 2, 10, that we need to walk in them. Right? It's something that is active. It's a daily thing. Something that proves our faith is genuine. So I have faith, you have works. Show me your faith without your works. And you cannot do that. You cannot show your faith without your works because works is what shows your faith. He says, And I will show you my faith by my works. You see that? I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. Oh, I'm jumping the head. Again, so let me read that again in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. That word show, to show me, means to expose to the eyes, to give evidence or proof. James is clearly talking about the issue of faith. Even the one with works here still has faith. James is not talking about works as a way to salvation. He is talking about works as a proof of faith. Then he goes on in verse 19, he says, you believe that there is one God, right? And one of the things back in this time was that uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, beliefs within the world that there were many gods. I mean, think about when we're in Exodus right now with the Egyptians, how many gods did they have? It was hundreds, right? They had a God for everything. They looked at something like, oh, there's a God for a couch. There's a God for a refrigerator, right? Well, they didn't have those things, but you know what I mean? There's a God of the sky and the sun. In the river, in the pyramid, like everything. There was a God for everything, of life, of death, of leaves, nature, cows, whatever it may be. They're like, there's a God for that. And then James goes on to say, okay, well, it's a good thing that you don't believe there's many gods. You do well, right? He says you believe that there's one God, good for you, right? A lot of people can believe that there's one God, but you have to believe in the one true and living God. He says, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. I remember one time a couple months ago, I said, I said something about the demons even believe that, that, that God was real, that Jesus was real, that Jesus was God. And you guys are like, I saw some of your faces. Isn't that crazy? That even the, the demons know who Jesus is. They know who God is. They know that there's one God. And it says that, that James says that they tremble. Okay, so, well, why are they demons? Why, are, If they know God, right? Aren't we supposed to know God? Well, no, intellectually, you can know that there's a God. Intellectually, you can know that this and that. But there's a difference when it comes to a complete surrender and relationship, right? An intimacy in knowing who God is. James is trying to say that it's not that big of a deal to believe in one God because the demons know that this is true. The issue is not believing that God is real. The issue is making Jesus as your savior. You see that? And the demons knew that God was real. Knowing that God is real is not enough to save you. It's making Jesus your savior, which saves you. And they rejected that that idea. He goes on to say in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You guys remember that story? You're like that's a crazy story. I'm glad my dad's not that way, right? God told him to take his his son Isaac up onto the mountaintop and, and to basically slaughter him, right? And what did Abraham do? Well, he didn't. He tried to do it, right? It's, it sounds crazy. You're like, well, God, why would you do that? And Abraham, why the heck would you listen to God to do that, right? Don't don't you love your son? Some for some reason Abraham had this faith that he knew because he was told beforehand and he trusted in the promise of jesus of god that when god said way before this that the lineage of jesus would come through abraham would come through isaac that there was there was some way whether he was going to kill isaac and god was going to bring him back to life that isaac would not die you understand that because god had already made the promise that there would be people to come after isaac and that can only happen if isaac was alive so he went in complete faith, not knowing exactly how it was going to work out. And that's kind of what faith is, right? You trust in not the outcome or the circumstance, but you trust in the person. You trust in Jesus Christ. I trust in who he is. And because of that, in the situation, regardless of whatever, whatever it is, I can know that it's going to work for his good. So James is referring here to, to Genesis chapter 22. I'm not going to read it because it's, it's kind of a long uh, section. Um, but it's in Genesis 22 if you guys want to read that account but we see here as James tells us that Abraham was justified by his works he was justified by by having the faith in, in God right to trust him to go up on the mountain and to slay his son but he actually had to go and do it right and so at the very moment that he was about to do it what happened yeah what what was there? What was what was behind him? Yeah, there was a sacrifice waiting for him up there already. Abraham had no idea, but he completely trusted in God, and God provided a way. But Abraham was to, was able to prove his faith because he was going to go through with the work of it. Right? God stopped him and said, "Okay, I see it. I know, I know now that you trust in me. It wasn't just a, yeah, sure, I I, I trust in you, Lord, and just saying it." He did more than just say it. He did it. Abraham's faith in God was proven because he was willing to do the difficult thing of sacrificing his only son, Isaac. His faith is what justified him. him, And God knew that Abraham believed. You know what's interesting? Really quick, as as we'll come to close in a little bit. It's interesting that James uses Abraham as the example of a person being justified by works. Because Paul actually uses Abraham as an example of being justified by faith. Isn't that funny? It's it's like they they go hand in hand. You you can't have only faith, you can't have only works. You have to start off with by with faith, and that faith then produces works. They go hand in hand. Do you see? But works can never precede faith. It doesn't work that way. In Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, this is where Paul says this it says what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul is talking about how we, as people, are justified before God by receiving our salvation through faith. He was justified because of his faith, and also because of his works. We see that James puts it. In verse 22, it says, Do you see that faith was working together with works? And by works, faith was made perfect. You see how they work together? So it's so important for us as an application point is for us now, right? For those of us who are saved, and we receive the salvation, the free gift of, of grace from God, that we then go and take that and we do something with it. It's so important for us to do that. And, and again, what are the good works? I, I couldn't even really find like a really good example, but there's a lot of different things that you can think of. I think the simplest of them all is just to obey Jesus and his commands. And with that, so much will be revealed to you in, 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 in accordance to his, his works. Whether that's producing fruit, whether that's loving others, whether that's, I, I don't know, there's so much that comes with that. And you'll begin to realize that these are the good works that Jesus Christ has created for for me to do, to walk in them, right? You are his workmanship. Walk in it. Abraham's faith was a partner with his works. He didn't just sit on the sofa and trust God. He got up and took his son to to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. I love that, right? So a lot of times we just, we say something, but we don't do it. We have to put those two together. They work together, as James tells us. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? By works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? when she received the messengers and sent them out another way so James gives us two examples here and there's plenty of different examples that we see and Rahab was another example after Abraham you guys remember the story of Rahab when the spies were sent in and Rahab basically hid them and and to save them after hearing and knowing and realizing that their God was the one true and living God she proved her faith in God by living it out right In verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works. And I already read that. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Sometimes your faith isn't all that special until you have to prove your faith by acting upon it. So important that we do that. And it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. Like, think about Abraham and Rahab. Those two examples right there. Do you think those things were easy? Do you think it would be easy to take the thing that you love most and and sacrifice it? No, not at all. Faith is, stepping out in faith is not an easy thing. Stepping out of the boat onto the water is not an easy thing. It can, it can be, it can be, it can be, it can be a comforting thing knowing that it's because I have the faith in Jesus Christ. Right, knowing that he's right there he's the one that's on the other side of the water that even if I just if I start to fail and I, and I start to doubt and all I have to do is do what just say save me and what will Jesus do He'll just reach down and save you and pull you out of the water right think about that story by itself did, did, did uh, Paul or Peter did Peter have to do anything so he's sinking in the water right he's about to drown did he have to go do a good work did he have to let like walk a lady across the street did he have to hold the door open for somebody did he have to go wash his hands and present himself with good clothing on did he have to do any of that before jesus saved him jesus like sitting there on top of the water like dude like you need to go like go back and let that lady cross the street like help her across the street right by that time peter's already dead Peter's at the bottom of the, the sea, right? And Peter, all he says is, Lord, save me. It's a complete surrender of knowing that your grace and your salvation only comes from Jesus Christ. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. He says, Lord, save me. And at that very moment, without hesitation, Jesus reaches down, grabs him, and pulls him out. And we see the life of Peter where he proved that faith. Because his, his life was amazing. He did so much for Jesus. Did so much for Jesus. He walked the walk. He walked according to the good works that were predestined for him in Christ Jesus. And you have that too. Think about it. Think about the the disciples. I love this because they were nothing special. Nothing special. They say it all the time. They're like, dude, we're just fishermen. And here we are speaking like, 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 we have this 10-year degree from college. We have our masters and, and this and that. And, but it's all because of their faith and trust in Jesus, and Jesus is able to speak through them. He's, he's able to use the foolish things to shame the wise. Right? Like, that's you and me. And, and the, the world will look at us like we're foolish, right? The world will look at us like we're weak. But in reality, we know that God has created us as his workmanship, his masterpiece, something that's beautiful. And if you allow the world to degrade you and demean you, it can be a very demoralizing thing. And it'll be really hard then to trust in the Lord that he has something special for you. That's why we have to, to stop those fiery darts of Satan, right? To block them and to trust in the promises of Jesus Christ and what he has for us. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Guys, I can't explain how important it is for us to to have works that is accompanied by our faith and to do them hand in hand. If you say you're a Christian, act like a Christian. If you say you love Jesus, prove it. Do something with it. Stop just saying it. Right? My marriage, I, I wouldn't even have a marriage if all I ever told Whitney to prove my love was to just tell her I loved her. Every single day I have to wake up I have to die to myself, and I have to put her in front of me. I have to prove it by doing things. I have to prove it by, by doing the dishes, or, or, or I can't think of an example. But you know what I mean. In the same way with your relationships. So as God has given you this free, gri- this free gift, use it. Use your faith. Walk in it, and produce good works.